Welcome to Welcome to Prime Time, a show covering the Freddy Krueger hosted anthology series, Freddy's Nightmares, one episode at a time. I'm Brennan Klein. Every episode is brought to you by donations from listeners like you. You get one new episode for every donation. Please help us keep going by giving to the Okra Project, an organization that is working to feed black trans people in need. You can find out how to donate in the show notes. This week's patron is Jeffrey Flores, and our guest, straight from the Kill by Kill podcast, it's Patrick Hamilton. Welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? Doing great. And <sighs> let's tell the folks out there about your show, which I believe every week you're covering the movie Mikey over and over <laughs> and over again, right? Yes. It's now Mikey cast. Um, we've abandoned our, our former... Uh, format and it's just all mikey all the time what is mikey doing what is mikey playing with what parents are mikey trying to is mikey trying to kill right now um if you're a big fan of mikey and apparently everyone but me was uh please listen to kill by kill where uh we have covered mikey and four years worth of other movies yeah, but who cares about those? I really, honestly, not many people. But <laughs> I can tell you, no one cared about Fear No Evil. That that landed with a <laughs> tremendous thud. Well, okay. What what else is going on in the show right now? You're doing dish by dish. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, we had all this uh, extra time. I don't know if you're aware, but <laughs> oh, um, mm-hmm. things have lightened up in the industry since we all stopped working. Um, it does help with the yeah. free time. <laughs> So we were like doing little bonus things or like, let's watch a different kind of movie. And then, you know, Hannibal came on Netflix and both Gina and I are like, why don't we just watch Hannibal? Like, it's an excuse to watch one of the best television shows of the last decade. And that's what we did. We every on Kill by Kill's off weeks, we have a, a small, quick episode Um and we talk about one episode of, of Hannibal, and it's an absolute goddamn delight. And we could all use some of that right about now. <laughs> that, yes, and for us, it's it's more of a mental health exercise that we get to drift off into this world where, you know, serial killers are fun, and, <laughs> you know, set design is beautiful, and the food all looks delicious. Um, and, uh, you know, tattlecrime.com somehow gives a person the ability to have a fantabulous wardrobe. Um, there's a lot of fantasy there. So we lose ourselves uh, there every other week. And it's it's been very nice respite. Good. And you got to love television shows about writers because they always spot on. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, anyway, we're also ta- here to talk about something that is a goddamn delight to someone. Um <laughs> It's Freddy's Nightmares Season 2, Episode 1, Dream Mm -hmm. Come True. It originally aired on October 8th, 1989. Here's what you could have watched in theaters instead. Um, Yeah. Okay. This weekend, we had An Innocent Man starring Tom Selleck. And something called Old Gringo with Jane Fonda and Gregory Peck that I did not look into further because I was like, you know what? I'm fine. It's Yeah, it it would have been one of those, um, you know, late fall uh, Oscar plays. You know, mm. like it's one of those films that you put an uh, elder statesman actor into in the hopes that they get the, you know, winter years Oscar nomination. Okay. Um, it's not particularly notable. It is pretty to look at, but that's mm, that's about it. Okay. Well, at least at least there's something about it because I just I, I read the title and I was, you know what? I was like, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think at the time. I probably would have run out, and while it came out like you know towards the end of September, but Sea of Love with Al Pacino uh, came out at this time, and it was sort of a comeback vehicle for him because he was playing like a modern cop in a sexy thriller because nothing sexier than Al Pacino, and um, it's it's an okay little thriller. Yeah, it's it's also pretty to look at. Uh, it's a little grisly. Um, very domestic violence-ish. Uh, so 80s. CW on that bad boy, but um, you know, not a bad movie. Okay, well, good to know. Yeah, I look. I'm I'm glad to have you on because you actually know movies. Because <laughs> because sometimes when I do this, or like you know, just you know so much about so many movies. Well, you, when you say know so much, 
Brennan, what we're what the the context here that everyone should know is that I'm old. And yeah, so, I didn't want to say that outright. Well, it's very true. I'm an I'm an older gentleman, and therefore, uh, when this stuff came out, I you was conscious alive. enough to like. I, I I will tell you this. I was not asked for my ID when I went to go see Sea of Love. Uh, All right. I made it just past the line. So while I was not in college, I I, I was not I was no longer just uh, sixteen. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, the writer on this sh- uh, this episode is Tom Blomquist. He's the writer and executive producer on Christie, Walker, Texas Ranger, and the '90s Swamp Thing show. Um, he's also the narrator of my thesis short film, I Madman, because he was my film professor. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. So, I, yeah, I don't think that'll prevent me from, you know, I guess, I guess full disclosure. I, I know, I know people I'm really, I'm, you know, really famous <laughs> and connected. That's right. If you want to, if you want to jump into the field of, uh, of syndicated schlock television, uh, between this and Swamp Thing, this guy had it covered. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he's, wow. he, he was a blast. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, I Man Man, that's a nice little flick. Oh, no. I, I named that. That's the name of my college short film, which oh. I named after oh. I Mad Man, but it's, oh. it's a tiny eye like iPhone because it's oh, like an updated. <gasps> Brandon, that's I a know. good title. Thank you. I, I am very good. You're welcome. <laughs> My first and only directorial credit. <laughs> well, um, you know what? Directing, you know, we all find our way. My first, you know, professional act, well, not acting job, because I was in the, I was a background player in the misadventures of Sheriff Lopo. But uh, oh. my first, like, uh, industry job was I was on a crew that were filming um, various jerseys and hockey masks for the hockey playoffs. And you would waft smoke in the direction, and they would just like tilt the camera over to see someone's name, and they would just like use that as a background plate, and that was all fucking day. And I'm like, <laughs> this is this is not the part of the industry for me. This is unfun. the The industry really is magical. Everything you see on the screen had to be created by someone. Yes. <laughs> so you know, thank you. <laughs> um. Speaking of, the director of this episode is George Cogender. Uh, this is his final episode of three that he did for Freddy's Nightmares. He also did The Bride Wore Red, which we talked about with Aaron Dries, and Black Tickets, which we talked about with BJ Colangelo. Mm. Um, the cast here, though. <laughs> um, as Ben, we have Charles Cyphers, who we best know as Sheriff Brackett in Halloween. Yeah. Um, as Randy, uh, David Kaufman, who I looked up, he played... Marty McFly in a Back to the Future cartoon series that did, that I did not know existed. It's on apparently the Blu-ray uh, set of Back to the Future. Thank God that came out. Um, I only know this because uh, Blank Check just covered it, and they said it's on the Blu-ray set. <laughs> I've not witnessed it myself. I have not upgraded from my DVDs. A glowing review, if I do say so. <laughs> Information I happen to have. Um, but also, he, he's done a lot of voice acting. He played Stuart Little on the cartoon. He also played Danny Phantom, which is basically like my sexual awakening. <laughs> so basically, he, he's like, hey, I almost sound like Michael J. Fox. Because Stuart Little would also be a Michael J. Fox. That is vocal. a great point. He just he held on to the Michael J. Fox voice longer than Michael J. Fox did. <laughs> That's true. Well, like, someone needed to do it, and yeah. so he stepped up to the plate. Good for him. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a role for him. He has his own lane. He sure does. And we strangely, or maybe maybe it's not so strange, but a lot of the people on the show did go on to do a lot of voice work. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway. That is perhaps where their talents lie. Maybe, maybe so. Uh, no comment. Um, as Kathy, um, Linda Miller, who played the mom in Alice, Sweet Alice. Oh. And here's here's the journey that I went on. Um, <laughs> as Rick, we have Bruce Marciano. So I clicked on his name because he had a headshot, and that's how I research these people. I research everyone who has a headshot, which means that they're still working. Right. Um, at first, I mean, he had like a semi-sizable amount of credits, and I was like, this seems kind of unremarkable. I'm not seeing anything I recognize. But then I, 
I was noticing the character names. Mm-hmm. This man has played Jesus, Jesus the Christ, more more times than any other actor in history. <laughs> well, perhaps it's the hair. I mean, he has that um, a, that sort of um, Barry Gibb as Jesus look. <laughs> he really does. And um, I mean, that is a, a speaking of 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 a fear no evil. That also has a Barry Gibb Jesus in it. Um, but yeah, he has a marvelous head of hair. He has very luscious lips. Oh, and yeah. Really kissable carpenter lips. Yeah. And um, he, like the light doesn't pass through him. So I believe he's real. And th- those are his <laughs> main, you know, points. Like that, if I were his agent, I'm like, well, he'll show up to set and he's a real person. Yeah, no, look, I'm, I'm not saying he played Jesus in The Last Temptation of Christ or anything. <laughs> um, a, a, a small sampling of the credits. He was in My Son, My Savior, something mm. called Allison's Choice. Um, oh, the visual Bible. <laughs> Nothing named Allison's Choice is going to be good. Oh, no, and it's going to be cheap, too. Um, <laughs> also, the visual Bible, colon, Matthew. <laughs> But not John. Interesting that he only made it into Matthew. Hmm. Yeah, I'm curious. Hmm. He did have an uncredited role in one of the other books. But, um, <laughs> he was also in The Lion of Judah, Apostle Peter in The Last Supper, and wow. Curse to the Bite. He, he wasn't Jesus in that one. <laughs> but who's to say? I mean, do we, do we know who anyone really is in Curse to the Bite? So That's a great point. And also, a lot of his other character roles were things like The Stranger or the janitor and i'm like oh he's definitely jesus in those ones too (laughs) (laughs) he's not not jesus in this one either um that being said just that looking at him i was like this is a man who has definitely gazed fondly upon someone and then disappeared in the next shot (laughs) (laughs) i'm surprised that there is no red shoe diaries-esque you know, credit for him. It seems like he would have done well in the softcore television realm. <laughs> no, he he really he just he went the exact opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> he went hardcore Jesus. Well, you know, that'll happen. I'm, yeah, it's so long as his management was paid, and uh, you know he's still eating. Do what you got to do. Oh yeah. Anyway, let's talk about this episode. <laughs> oh, by all means. Okay, so basically, I'll try to kind of rock it through this a little bit. We've been talking for a minute. Um, <laughs> you know, just, you get me talking about Jesus. I just, you know, I just keep I going. Just, I, you start pulling your own Chatty Cathy string about Jesus. <laughs> I can't stop. Anyway, so there's a doctor whose name is Brandon. I don't remember his last name. Um, but you can call him Brandon. That's the good news here. <laughs> so, oh, that explains your your pen name that you've chosen for this <laughs> because it just comes out of nowhere when they walk in first of all we have we have to talk about the very opening shots of this which are very idyllic shots of various things including the usc clock tower which is representative of the hospital from dream warriors but in the background you begin to hear something and of course it's that classic combination of steam engine and freddy krueger <laughs> I honestly, I cut this part out of my notes because I was like, I truly don't know what message was trying to come across here. I don't know. I think, I think the episode was short because this takes up a good minute of time and they're like, what are we going to do? We're a minute short. I don't know. Shots that we used from other places in the show and on a train. Yeah. And then (laughs) Freddie goes boo at the end of it. Like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) was this entertainment people come on and, and this was this was the intro to season two so they were they were it was establishing a mood <laughs> the mood is trains <laughs> freddie not hitting his eye light <laughs> yeah no that actually that's super common in the show i don't think they had the money to like fully make him up in the freddie drag every time yeah. um although i will say it seems like they have more money than season one so i'm excited about that <laughs> Or they or they proportioned it right because it seems like, and you would know better than I that you know he doesn't want to get in this get up all the time. It's like, call me once every two to three months when you need me to do these interstitials, 
and I'll sit in the chair and we'll do it. But like, I'm not showing up every other week just for an episode. Fuck that noise. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we're at an interview with Dr. Kessler, whatever, but call mm-hmm. him Brandon. Um, he's the author of a book called Dream Come True about something. Science. <laughs> I don't know, but Jay Thomas does not like it. And Jay Thomas is wearing a sweater on television. So we got that going for him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's this it's this TV interview show. And I think he's trying to do a Jerry Springer thing because he is very aggressive towards his guests. Yes, he is. Jay Thomas was a morning DJ here in Los Angeles when you were a twinkle in someone's eye. And um, I wonder this who. was his shtick. Oh, I, I did not know. So he was he was mean to people. That was his thing. He he was sorry. He was a uh, sort of like he had a New York energy or an East Coast energy mm. that he tried to portray, and that helped him get uh become Carla's husband on Cheers and this. Oh, congrats to him. Yeah, well, he's coasting on Cheers, bunny. He doesn't need our praise. Fine, well, fuck him. <laughs> um, eat the rich. Um. <laughs> But yeah, so Kathy's at this. She's in the Oprah audience of this show. She's like, my son has nightmares. He can't adjust to his new school. Yeah. And basically, uh, Jay Thomas pushes the doctor to do a house call with this woman and try to help her son who has, who's having nightmares. And, like, they'll record the whole thing. Yeah. Um, with one camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another thing, like like TV shows that you know, depict writers don't always get how much money writers make and TV shows that depict TV crews mysteriously can't (laughs) seem to grasp how that goes. No, generally most television programs, even if they're, if they're filming something live, you know, if it's a news event, you might have a camera, but if you're producing a segment for television, you will at least have two cameras. You might have one cameraman, but you don't have just a guy with dreamy hair uh, squatting behind where people are talking. Yeah, he he's only getting master shots. <laughs> he's only getting master shots. Although we see many different shots, including the shot of the camera from the television, or the, the actual Freddy's nightmare point of view. So, uh, <laughs> um, Speaking of Freddy, he shows up. He does a whole, you know, he does one of his things. It's like, we interrupt this broadcast for a special message. Opinions are not necessarily those of yours truly. And then he just keeps talking. Um, <laughs> he's, he's like, who needs to read a book about dreams when you can experience a nightmare in full living color? Um, there's also like a here's Freddy moment. Freddy's actually, he's he's out and about in this episode. Because, you know, this we're... Is- they want they want the they know the eyes of you're gonna get the most eyes on your premiere episode absolutely so they're like they're establishing if you watch more of this you're gonna see just as much Freddy and no you do not <laughs> spoiler alert for episode two you do not yeah well we'll see how it goes season one had a fair smattering of Freddy centric episodes like I'd say like six out of the 22 or so like had him in some capacity as part of the plot um but yeah definitely he did not want to spend that much time on the set no um but he, his hand does burst through the bed the <laughs> window outside turns cherry red uh you know randy's having a nightmare mm-hmm. um there's a part we cut to downstairs where uh dr brandon arrives and the mom like takes him in like chris mcneil and the exorcist yeah, somehow the bargain here is that he has to live in their house, which I, mm, I like, thank goodness they have a, a spare bedroom for him and the cameraman, who then move in full time. Yeah, I, dream therapy, I, I, I think that's an outpatient procedure, like you don't need it. <laughs> like in the original Nightmare on Elm Street, like she goes to a facility. And, you know, it's run by Charles Fleischer, and he has a large picture of a kitten riding a cable car in San Francisco. See, that... that's why you go. You need you need the bedside manner of that cable car kitten. Listen, professionalism. That's what dream therapy is all about. But here we just get a guy who talks through his cheeks all the time. <laughs> um, and we do find out that Randy was a normal kid until he moved here. And in a hilarious shot... <laughs> Randy falls down the stairs bodily, like rolling over himself, screaming. And, you know, I mean, God, we could spend the rest of the episode just talking about this sequence because he screams and, and in a two shot of the mom and the and Dr. Brandon, MD, 
look up, and then you see the top half of the stairs. You don't see the bo- where the actual stairs are, but you see the railing, and then Brandon rolling through the bottom third of the screen. Like, if you have a stunt guy, just have him roll down the fucking stairs. I've rolled down stairs. It's, like, it's not fun, but you can do it safely. What is the point of this? Was, like, a mattress there? What's going on? <laughs> I I don't want to question the magic of this moment too much <laughs> because it really is the highlight of this episode. <laughs> it really is all downhill from there. I mean, I laughed harder in this segment than at any point in the rest of the show. It's just so abrupt, just the screaming. <laughs> ah! Roll, 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 roll. <laughs> And then they, they meet him at the bottom of the stairs like, are you okay? He's like, no, I'm not okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no shit. He just fell down the fucking stairs from a nightmare. Like, that isn't normal. Yeah, and he he seems to be unusual for Freddy's victims, like having very like sleepwalk-esque nightmares where he... The the, in, the the movements he makes in the dreams are the movements he makes in real life. It's, uh, yeah. you know, like Breck and Meyer in Freddy's Dead. <laughs> I mean, again, like, we I, I experienced so much of this going through all the nightmare movies. You think of the Nightmare on Elm Street as having hard and fast rules. And it turns out, not so much. Freddy's just a magical creature who can do whatever the fuck he wants, including making people walk through doors. Like... It's one thing to possess bodies or kill people in their dreams. Like, that is hard and fast. That's all well and good. All well and good. But, like, you drag him into the real world and you hit him with a sledgehammer. He's like, oof, ow, my chesticles. (laughs) And then you set him on fire and he's like, ouch. But then he walks upstairs and he drags a woman into a phantasm. Like, (laughs) there's no... He can do whatever the hell he wants. There are no rules when it comes to Freddy. And anyone who tells you different hasn't watched the movies close enough. Look, and you certainly have. Unfortunately, um, yeah. Look, Freddy's, <laughs> Freddy's playing jazz. It's about the rules you don't follow. <laughs> it's about the rules he doesn't obey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, we're doing hypnotherapy. Dr. Brandon's DDS is trying to put him in like his happy place. <laughs> Which he's just making up uh, on the fly. Yeah. He's making up a happy mm-hmm. place for this boy. Um, but then Freddy shows up and he's like, I thought we were in this together, Randy. Um, he slashes and, Randy. He wakes yeah. up with the bloody gashes across his chest. And and, and, and Brandon, medicine woman, um, <laughs> is like, oh, I scratched you. It's like, no, you didn't. That is a gash across his chest eight inches wide. Like yeah. that's not this is not coming from a fucking fingernail, my man. Also, what like, the fuck what did he what did he think he was doing? <laughs> like, does he Oh, well, sometimes I scratch a patient and it looks like they were attacked by a wolverine. Like, come on, man. That's not normal to wake up out of a, your and that's the other thing. It's like, is he dreaming? Is he just closing his eyes? Is he under hypnosis? We never learn because no one ever says. There's just a lot of empty pauses. And this, you know, this Brandon <laughs> just massaging his temples like, oh, my God, what the fuck did I get myself into? Yeah. Well, OK, look, um, if if I was Randy's mom and I invited uh-huh. Dr. Brandon, Destroyer of Worlds, into my house. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, sl- he slashes open my son's chest. I wouldn't let him stay an additional two nights. Oh, you wouldn't show up in a very sassy nightgown in his dreams Ooh. because that's what happens here. And. When I see nightgowns, I wake up and I start smelling that coffee. <laughs> oh boy. I love nightgowns. You never see nightgowns. People don't wear nightgowns anymore. When I see a nightgown, I'm thrown back to that sort of Sears catalog sexuality of my youth. I mean, I guess that is who they were appealing to, because this was still oh. at the time that, you know, you had to acquire porn in some way. <laughs> right. Unless you, yeah, you had to find it in the woods or con, you know, a bodega owner into giving it to you uh, for an increased price. Like, it took subterfuge to find porn. So to titillate teenagers uh, late night on a weekend in a syndicated program, like, yeah, they're totally going for that. <laughs> I mean, look, it, it's better than the uh, the chunky, sexy sweaters that we're still getting this late into the 80s. 
there's a lot of sweater work deep into the 80s. It is, um, luckily, for all of our sakes, flannel would soon replace all of this. So you have that look to look forward to. Oh, and hey, look, I, I don't know how much sarcasm was in that statement, but as a gay man, <laughs> flannel is an important staple um, to sexuality. So yes. I only speak of the time period. I, I, I don't presume to 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 know any, anyone's style. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. In terms, of, yeah. No, no, I, I wasn't. I, I just, I wasn't sure your your where you stood on flannel, but I was like, never. I mean, it had its time. I feel, um, and this is a personal thing, that okay. as a man grows older, it's important not to repeat major look staples. I I want to morph over time. I, I want to look good, but I don't want to fall into a place where I'm attempting to look like I did circa. That's a mm, that's a how do you do fellow kids sort of road that you don't want to go down. Okay, noted. <laughs> you don't have to worry about this for quite some time. Well, I don't know that I'm a trendy enough person that this would be an issue. <laughs> Who's to say you might become the trendiest thing just a year from now? We don't know this. You got to put that out in the universe. You're so right. I'm, I'm my fashion blog goes up tomorrow. <laughs> That's right. Man, get some IG followers. Put up some thirst pics. Let's see what happens. <laughs> oh, oh, I no comment. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so basically, Freddie has is kind of through this sexy nighty mom dream. Mm-hmm. Freddie is kind of swapping over to Dr. Brandon um, instead of the child. Um, he it's does... an interesting concept that is not really given a lot of play here, that Freddie is transferable like a, a, a like gonorrhea. Yeah, and also Freddie has never really showed an interest in adults before. <laughs> no. Again, um... no rules. <laughs> Oh yeah, no. Look, Freddie, I I love that he's an agent of chaos, and like you do, you honey. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> um, he, <laughs> speaking of chaos, he does do a thing where he's like, "I've got a splitting headache," and goo kind of spurts out of his hat. Yeah, that is a new uh, power for him that his hat produces soup. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 cute. <laughs> oh, I mean, maybe maybe that will be my first uh, fashion statement. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an interesting limitation on the show that they can't really do big gore pieces. So you're doing phantasmagoria sort of stuff. Where sort like, of. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it basically looks like he said, I don't know, on you can't do that on television. It's just gotten slimed through his hat. But they're trying. Yeah, no, I, I, I do appreciate that there are any special effects on the show. <laughs> um. <laughs> Okay, so basically, because of this transfer, Randy is no longer having the Freddy nightmares. He is cured. He, um, he's wearing all the mock turtlenecks that he has in his closet. He is really living life. It's the true sign of a healthy, stable teenager. Really. I mean, he looks exactly like I did junior year of high school. <laughs> it's uh, really sad to look at. Well, As no. I was in junior year of my high school. <laughs> No, but you can look at it and remember that you have you have morphed since then. You have progressed, and you will never. That's go right. Back. That's why I don't repeat the mock turtleneck as a staple right now, no matter how hip it might be. <laughs> it's very hip. Don't worry. Oh, like you go to Neiman Marcus, all you can see is mock turtleneck, mock turtleneck, mock turtleneck. Do people go to Neiman Marcus? Fuck if I know. I haven't they... left the house in six fucking months. Do they still exist? It's possible. It, anything's the, possible. I, <laughs> welcome to 2020. Oh, God. Um, but yes, so basically there's a follow-up interview with the kid and the mom. They're like, oh, he cured us. His book is great. Um, but the doctor realizes that Freddy is real. He's racing to the TV state studio, which Springwood just has, because Springwood, the facilities at Springwood are top-notch for any industry. <laughs> Yeah, it, it can be anything you want it to be. And I'm not entirely sure why they decided at this late stage of Nightmare on Elm Street that it had to be Ohio. I'm not sure what that's about. But they, like, because it's very obvious in the early uh, movies, this is Southern California. Like, they're going to Venice. There's not the canals of Ohio. <laughs> that doesn't exist. That's, so, sorry. <laughs> No, no, please. 
That's some. That's really interesting that you bring up because, well, I know you were born and raised in California as well. Yeah. Um, but some my worldview has been skewed by that being the case for me, in that I don't notice when something you know is so clearly not Ohio in ways like that. Where in in Halloween when you know Doctor Loomis is at the payphone and people are like, "Oh yes, those looming mountains of Illinois," and I'm like, yeah. honestly, <laughs> this is just what the world looks like to me, and I have not noticed. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I know, you how anyone views that sort of canard that South Pasadena is any town USA. It's like not up against those very brown hills. That's not <laughs> not a staple of uh, Middle America. That's probably fair. Although I will say, the one time I have been to Ohio, everything was brown, so you never know. <laughs> That's true. Not the landscape per se, but just. Ohio itself, <laughs> just, just a, a a dirt devil of uh, of an area. Yeah, I would say the same of like when I passed through Oklahoma. I was like, there's a a sheen of everything looks like it's blown up against a wall, and someone said, "I'll wash that off tomorrow." <laughs> yeah, it, it it's sepia toned. Yeah, um, everything's brown except the people. They're all very white, <laughs> very. And I think that's you know very smart casting on the part of the show to represent Ohio. Um, anyway, uh, Dr. Brandon, uh, LBSU, I don't know. Um, he shows up at the studio. He steals the security card's gun. Um, he's trying to shoot Freddie out of the sky. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he, if Freddie was doing a flyover, like he's on a witch broom, like in Freddie's dead. Yeah, we I'm know not he sure has what one. that is. But he doesn't know how Freddy works either, so he's just really flying by the seat of his pants. Oh, yeah, and, th- and then he does get shot in the gut, which, fair. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he is, uh, you know, shooting a firearm, and unlike every white guy with a gun, apparently, ever, uh, the police respond by shooting him. Yeah, um, you know, it, it really this really depicts... A world that we don't live in. Um, no. But anyway, so he's dying. Freddy's back in his liminal space. He's under a sheet. He's like, is there a doctor in the house? Not anymore. <laughs> Which is such a refreshing, just to have a host, because we had recently covered Veronica. Oh. Which. Oh, no. A- attempts to have a horror host. And, uh, and I say attempts in the biggest dick fingers possible. Like after the first segment, the, the young lady who's putting crow makeup turns to the camera and goes, "Well, there you have it." <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, that's a great first draft. We might want to give that a couple more passes, but at least here, you know, Robert has come to play. He may not be be uh, be given the best bon mots by the writers here, but. He's really trying to service whatever he's been given well. Yeah, it's a first and a half draft. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so in the second segment, now we're following the camera guy. Um, he has a huge poster of his anchor woman girlfriend in his editing bay. Um, we all do. Yeah. Uh, that's true of all editing bays. Everyone has a poster of the <laughs> newswoman <laughs> of, your, of your channel because you only have one, I guess. Well, that, yeah, that that like normally I would say for a small Ohio kind of news organization, I'd say, oh, sure, that makes sense. But no, they have a huge studio set up. They certainly they really have more do. than one. <laughs> and also yeah. unending crime. <laughs> um, but yes, so he's looking through his tapes from the from the Randy case. Yeah. Um, he sees Freddie on the tape and Freddie's like, what are you staring at? Um Basically, his boss, um, who is Charles Cipher, is, is like, I think your relationship with Judy is keeping you away from work. Um, Freddie, like, he leaves the uh, he leaves the bay. Freddie shows up on the screen after a VHS push, pushes itself into the machine. And he starts making <laughs> kissy faces, like, at the camera. <laughs> yeah. This is, um, the writers ran out of steam here. <laughs> There's a couple. I forgot to mention, um, at one point, Freddie refers to um, <laughs> Brandon as Dr. Crack Breath. I'm not I'm not sure that's an insult. I'm not sure what that is, but it's it's a real first pass. And I think they just needed to give everything a polish. We're not seeing everyone's best here. 
And um, as a result, Freddy's out of his eye line. <laughs> and, and they've forgotten if it's a red, green on either side of his face. Sometimes it goes purple. Sometimes it goes pink. You got to decide those things. Just decide which side of the set is pink and which is blue. <laughs> Please, for the love of God. Yeah, I I don't think this show like a hallmark of the show is not decisions. Um, <laughs> but yeah. it's accidents. Sometimes they're happy, and sometimes they're just accidents. Very true. <laughs> um, but yeah, th- this moment of Freddie kind of introducing this segment is one of those many moments that Freddie has that are like a Judd Apatow scene where they clearly just let England improv a million different yes. lines and cut none of them. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, like, it's gold, Jerry. It's gold. Yeah, he's like, Kruger, you beauty. How do I look? Oh, man of my dreams, you fashion plates. And I'm like, okay, shut the fuck up. Uh, okay. <laughs> like some uh, stage manager just off stage doing that stretch. Stretch. <laughs> At least it's not train noises. No, I mean, you can't go back to that well. That's such a fantastic device that once you blow it, uh, there's really no going back to it. Yeah, the the writer of episode six was like, well, I really think we should put train noises here. And they're like, oh, no, we blew our wad already. <laughs> our train budget is gone. We cannot go to Travel Town. They won't let us shoot there at night. <laughs> uh, we don't have We don't have a conductor's hat. You know, there's certain limitations here. We just have the train noise. <laughs> Okay, um, speaking of things that aren't trains, we find a dead body in a dumpster. <laughs> um, the cameraman shows up. Um, there's no sign of Judy. He's like, where is she? But then he finds out that Judy is the dead body in the dumpster. And yeah. he turns into a surfer. He's like, that's my girlfriend, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the performance of somebody who hasn't really dipped into the well of... Um, it doesn't seem like someone who has felt loss in his life. It feels like someone who, if his character dies three days later, he fucking comes back. Yeah, he he found his niche. <laughs> That's right. His niche is not camera guy who just found out his girlfriend's dead. Yeah, and he... especially, and he's he must have covered enough news stories at this point to know that if the girlfriend shows up dead. The boyfriend is suspect number one, and he's like, "Let me act. I've got to act as suspicious as possible here." Yeah, and maybe maybe that's the moment that he realized that his his real bread and butter was in Serenity. Yeah, that's right. Get me back in a crown of thorns. He yelled at his agent on a payphone. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's he's looking at this footage of him screaming at the cops around his girlfriend's dead body. Yeah. Um, and he sees he fr- also swipes somebody else's videotape, oh, which yeah. also, again, if you're trying to avoid murder charges, don't steal evidence. That's a real bad move, rookie move in the murder <laughs> game. Um, yeah, so he's watching this footage and he sees Freddy kind of in the background, kind of coquettishly kind of wiggling his claws at the camera like, hey. Mm. Um, basically, he comes up with this concept that you can trace back half the murders in this town to Freddy, which I could have told you that. Yeah, it's it, everyone talks about it. Everyone talks about it. It can't be that big of a mystery. It's pretty much like the Loch Ness Monster at this point, where everyone's like, Loch Ness Monster, Loch Ness Monster, Loch Ness Monster. So at a certain point, you have to treat half the homicides in town that you can't immediately explain as, well, the Loch Ness Monster struck again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, what Sherlock Holmes said, you know, the, I don't remember, the thing about, you know, however illogical the last thing must be true if you can't, if you eliminate all other options. And all the all the options in town are being eliminated. <laughs> <laughs> no one is competent enough to have logical you know, explanations this as part of the problem here is that there's a level of stupid in the water. There's, there's a lot of lead in everyone's drinking water as it were, because they have very short memories. They don't want to accept the constant unexplained death in their youth. And so I, the people who are left, let's just say they're not killing the worst of the young people in Springwood, Ohio. 
they're killing the best. Fair enough. And uh, you are right. Like, there clearly is something in the water because uh, I don't know why the mother would let this cameraman from the television studio into her home to just chat with her son. Just not not around a table. They're sitting on the floor in the living room <laughs> having a tete-a-tete about Freddie. <laughs> no one wants to sit on the furniture in this room. Like... Um, Brent... <laughs> Um, Dr. Brandon, um, he, uh, out of the five times he sits on furniture in all of the, that first segment, he never sits down on a chair until the last time he's always sitting on the arm of something. It's kind of like, take a seat. You're making me nervous. Real people sit down on the chair. Maybe it's like a, like in the Godfather when there's always oranges before somebody dies, like sitting in the chair <laughs> means you're about to die. That is the only time anyone has ever compared Freddy's nightmares to the Godfather. But congratulations, Brennan. You, you've done it. <laughs> but, you finally, you can take that little piece of red yarn from the Godfather and tie it to <laughs> Freddy's nightmares. Look, my whole life, I just try to do things that nobody else in the world has ever done. <laughs> Ring that bell, buddy. You just done did it. It's a thrill, Patrick. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically, he's like, we got to expose Freddy. And he's like, meet me at this undisclosed warehouse location at 10.30 p.m., teenage boy. <laughs> oh, my God. This is a terrible plan. I don't, I don't understand the narrative thrust of the second half. It's a lot of time wasting. It's just a guy who says... I have this on film and no one else can see Freddy. And at that point, give up the whole, I got to capture Freddy on camera bit. Like it's no one else can see Freddy, but you. Yeah. It, it's not going to. Yeah. He, he's just not picking up the clues. Freddy gave him all the clues. Mr. Police. <laughs> he, yes, he is the Mr. Police in this circumstance. He has been given all the clues. He is truly Harry hole. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so basically, he see he goes to this warehouse with a teenage boy. Um, he before the boy shows up, he sees a squatter being murdered by Freddy. But when the when um, Randy shows up, they discover the corpse of the squatter, and Randy's like, "How did you know this was here?" Mm-hmm. Um, they put an APB on the camera guy. Um, he starts transmitting and shooting footage of Freddy that nobody else can see. Nobody else can see. And but Charles Cipher receives this information. And goes. Oof, that guy's losing it. Trace with his location and send it to the police. And then he gets a call from him. And he's like, what are you doing? What's going on? You know what he's doing. You know what's going on. You just watched his footage of it. That's a great point. It seems like it's out of order. Like they swapped it after the fact. They wanted to have that one dead body before the commercial break. So they had to swap the, the segment so that he calls Charles Cipher after, and it doesn't make sense. Yeah, no the 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 timeline of any narrative on this show tends to be elastic. Yeah, no, it, it, Tarantino esque, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but Tarantino does tend to, I don't know, tie things off. Like he pulls the thread all the way through. I don't feel that is a hallmark of Freddy's nightmares necessarily. I think they were really aiming to have 20 minutes of footage for each segment. That, that, that is their main goal. And they accomplished it. <laughs> by hook or by crook, man. Yeah. Yeah. So so the police are like, yes, Gary, it has been the person murdering everyone around town. We found traces of his clothing all over Judy, which... That's, what? <laughs> they were boyfriend and girlfriend. How do you get traces of clothes? How is what is it, the the lab results like, Lieutenant? I have I have good news. We have traces of someone else's clothes. What traces? It's like she what was covered the... in pockets. <laughs> she had several of his dirty T-shirts uh, stuffed into her underwear. Thank God, otherwise we wouldn't know who committed this crime. <laughs> That's his calling card. <laughs> Several of his sweatbands uh, hoisted around her midsection. We're not sure why, but now we know who did it. Or maybe it was actual tracings. Like he had tracing paper and he put it over 
you know, like some some of his shorts, and we, you know, just took yeah. a charcoal to it. <laughs> we we have several doodles of OP. It looks like there's a TC and Surf company back here on her shorts. <laughs> and what seems to be a fan art of a pregnant Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> well, that could be from anywhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that could that could be anyone in Springwood. <laughs> <laughs> literally, is so common it could come from anything. That's probably hers. Um, yeah, so Freddy slashes him off a balcony, um, and then we just cut to kind of Freddy with a camera, and he's like, and that's the way it is. And he's like, I always wanted to be on TV. Maybe now I'll get my own show, which <laughs> is almost meta. <laughs> almost. When he introduces himself at this portion, he just yells out, party. Oh, yeah. Party. <laughs> party. Now, I mean, I can't imagine how hard it is to come up with iconic lines for Freddy Krueger because it sounds like an easy assignment. But really, without the facility to add bitch to it, um, it seems like a lot of the writer's room were handcuffed by this constriction. And so they're just trying anything. And party not only made it out of someone's typewriter but through the copy machine through production into the script where they finally got robert england in makeup and he's like wait a second i just yell party like yep the checks are still clearing right (laughs) yes okay party it is um i i do think that he just kind of flapped his lips and let them fill in whatever (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's true it doesn't it it, it, we the thing with robert england is they're running his voice through this magical box where it comes out like this and so (laughs) you're never quite sure what is being filmed on the day and what isn't um that is very true of the movies so why wouldn't it be true of the show oh it's it must be (laughs) <laughs> um, but look, they can't all be, this is God, you know? No, no. And, you know, I am a very big advocate of just because Welcome to Primetime Bitch was such a good, th- like, it's like one of those things where you nailed it. You nailed it so hard that it was just like cocaine and hookers for the rest of the week. Like, you you done did it, everyone. <laughs> Thumbs up. But after that, People are really trying to recapture that magic, and it, a lot of them are real swing and a miss. And I can't say party is even in the top 50. It's real bad. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it is. Um, <laughs> so what what are your final thoughts about this episode? Was it a dream? Was it a nightmare? Or did it put you to sleep, Patrick? It's a... Um... It's a, you know, I didn't mind the first one because there was enough ludicrous going on that I'm like, this is entertaining because it seems incompetent and it seems wild and it seems like they're trying for something and failing, but they were trying for something. Whereas the, this back half is a real sleeper, baby. It is nonsensical. There's not a real story. And the most tension in the entire thing is watching this guy walk up the stairs backwards with a camera. It's just, it's not, it's ungood. Yeah, but is it double plus ungood? Because (laughs) I am going to call it a dream. Because you see more of these things. So if this is, you know, you have the barometer to which to truly judge it. I'm coming in blind. So as a more schooled individual of what the Freddy's nightmares ideal is, you're saying like, this is upper echelon. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, at least lower tier upper upper echelon, but I'm trying to kind of force myself into a positive vibe with season two. Um, cause I do think that they are spending a little bit more money. Um, this show or this episode at least, well, because it involves Freddy Krueger, um, specifically, the dream gags aren't just completely pointless. And the, the the kind of hallmark of this show is that people wake up and then another scene happens and then they wake up from that scene and then they just keep... It's a chain of waking up with no no, no links. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's linear only in the sense that we never go back. <laughs> um, Why would you? 
But yeah, so th- this was a little more at least coherent, if not particularly mm-hmm. compelling. And the the scene of the kid falling down the stairs really is is top oh, drawer. Yeah, the first half of this I think is a real, uh, real WTF material. Whereas the second half is the undoing. Like if they had stopped at that, if this show was a half an hour, I think they probably would have done better. Yeah, because oh, I wish, I wish, Patrick. <laughs> because this back half is really it doesn't have a story it doesn't have a plot he's just like i know freddy krueger exists and freddy krueger's like yeah i do and everyone else is like no he doesn't and that's it that's what we get wandering around a warehouse as much as i love freddy in a warehouse and i do <laughs> yeah in multiple warehouses over multiple days it is yeah is a real uh an odyssey perhaps <laughs> Um, just a reminder though, every episode is brought to you by donations from listeners, donate to the Okra project. You can find out how in the show notes, um, Patrick, where can, where can everybody find you out there on the internet and kill by kill, uh, kill by kill is available anywhere podcasts are, uh, no matter what kind of phone you use or device, we are there if i'm not there please let me know uh you can find me at kill by kill pod on g on kill by kill pod uh, at kill by kill pod <laughs> good lord <laughs> at kill by kill pod on twitter um it was supposed to be just the the handle for the show but it's pretty much just become me <laughs> my dumb musings i have noticed and- that <laughs> It's it's I've never had very hard and fast rules, but um, I've abandoned them about two years ago. So it's it's just me under the guise of Kill by Kill Pod, and because that's the only way it's grown. <laughs> um, and yeah, we have a Facebook uh, group if you want to look us up there. We're on Instagram if you have the need. Um, but really, um, come join us on the show. We're fun. We're goofy. We'll help waste your time every week. Yes, I Kill by Kill is a staple in the Brennan household. Um, I highly recommend it, and not just because I've been on it. <laughs> you have, and you're a, a wonderful returning champion for the show. We we love having you on. Thank you. I'm I'm always happy to be there. <laughs> um, anywhere but here, you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Raining Brands and Instagram at the Burning Clem. Our artwork was created by Henry Hall. If you'd like to support trans artists, and you should, you can send them a commission at henryhall.design. Our theme song is Living in a Dream by Pseudo Echo. Rate and review us wherever you get us. Um, And as for the next episode, (laughs) oh my God, Patrick will be rejoining us to talk about Heartbreak Hotel, Mm -hmm. following an Elvis sighting at the Springwood Hotel. (laughs) A tabloid reporter finds that the phony stories that he writes come true. Meanwhile, an amnesiac has a terrifying dream that he committed murder before losing his memory. <laughs> oh, we're we're going to talk about it and until then, sweet dreams everybody. <laughs> <laughs>